Hello, my name's Sam Taylor, and I'm here with Tim McCourt, and we're talking to Ken Wong, who's the, uh, what was your, your actual job title on Monument Valley? Um, well, we, director? we don't really have titles. Like, I'm in the game, there's just a list of us who worked on it. Um, okay. But I guess what I tell people is I'm the lead designer and one of the artists who okay. worked on Monument Valley. Okay. So, Monument Valley is a game that... Uh, <laughs> came out recently. I've got to say right now that I know very little about games. I'm probably one of the worst people to be interviewing about computer games. I, I really don't play them very much. But um, And Tim doesn't, hasn't played Monument Valley at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, when, but as soon as that game came out, I, kind of, I saw everybody on Facebook posting it up online and, uh, and, and there was like little clips from games and there was little... Um, mm. Or that people were just going nuts about it in a way that people don't usually do, my friends don't usually do. Um, and uh, it got all this press, so I downloaded it and it just absolutely blew my mind. Um, it was, I thought it was like very different from any other game that I'd ever played, uh, either on iPhone or on a console or, or any game that I'd seen anybody play. Um, and yeah, so that was why we wanted to talk to you. I mean, I think particularly from a from a graphic point of view, look very different from from other things uh, that I've seen before. Um, yeah, uh, I was thinking uh, maybe we could start by you telling us a bit oh, <laughs> about okay. how I'm you. Gonna, I'm playing Monument Valley now. Live, so. <laughs> yeah. I, I was thinking maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you uh, got started in games, um, and uh, and then I guess leading on to how Monument Valley came about. Sure. Um, so I grew up in Australia and um, I guess when I was doing my university degree, which was a, a BA in multimedia, I um, started uh, working in doing concept art for games. And actually the, the story of how I got into games was there was a game around the year 2000 called um, Alice, uh, American McGee's Alice. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a, it's, a, it's a game based around the book Alice in Wonderland, but it's kind of violent and gothic. Okay. Right. And uh, I really got into this game, and I did some, some fan art for it and, right. and put it on the web, on, a, on a, like a fan website. Wow. And the game designer uh, who made Alice, his name is American McGee, uh, saw this bit of art, and he wrote to me and said, would you like to try doing art for my next game? And I'm like, wow, sure. That's incredible, man. So that's, they... yeah. Um, I, it's it, like, I, I, I wasn't trying to get a, a job in games, but that's kind of a, a fan artist's dream. That's awesome. Um, and had, had you worked professionally at that point? I, I, I believe I, I hadn't. I think that was actually my first job ever. Wow. So I, I had no idea how to, how to be a freelance artist and kind of had to make it up as I went along. I don't think that that would happen in animation. I don't think that you would get... I mean, I don't feel that people take their fans that seriously in the same way. I mean, I feel like there's a separation between the two. I kind of feel a little bit like there's some kind of snobbery in animation <laughs> from people who are in the industry as opposed to people who are outside. Well, like and maybe I'm wrong about that. I've seen, uh, there was a guy called Sean Galloway and he was a comics guy and he did a lot of like Hellboy... He just, you know, like people do fan art. Mm. You know, if you're a comic artist, you're going to draw loads of stuff. And I think off the back of him drawing like Spider Man and Hellboy quite a lot, and people liking his designs, he ended up designing for the 
the TV series, the animation, animated TV series of both those things. Okay. That's the only thing I can kind of think of that's similar. I'm, I'm sure it happens. I, I, but I think to, usually to get employed, you, you have to have you have to have more than just fan art. You have to have your own ideas right. too. I mean, I certainly, I don't think when when someone at Disney sees a portfolio just of Disney fan art, right. that's that's a big turn on. I mean, yeah, that's, that's exactly what we're yeah, talking yeah. about. <laughs> so um, I, that, that's how I got my my start, and then once I graduated. Um, I'd been working with American on and off for um, for like about two years at that point, and he helped me uh, get my first full time job in Hong Kong, which was an art direction uh, gig, and um, and I had never been an art director before. I had I'd never had an art director before, so I didn't really so I had an idea of what an art director did, but. I kind of had to figure it out as, as I went along. What's the what? Would, so what were you doing at this actual point? Uh, you mean when I got like, first yeah, job. when you got this? You said you never had an art director, but you were working in the industry in some capacity. No, I was I was just doing freelance jobs. Okay, as uh, yeah. over the over the internet in game in games, in games yeah. right? Okay. Um, doing concept art, but okay. I, I guess again, having never really been trained as a concept art, because I mean. That I didn't. I didn't know that actually. Like in the film industry, that's called visual development. Mm-hmm. And um, I would. I did what I thought you should do, which is write lots of notes on your on your concept art, saying how it should be implemented. Right. And then when I saw how the three D artists did it, I'm like, no, 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 that's that's not how it should be done in three D. Right. And I would. I would paint over the three D models and say, oh, you should do this, and I would mm-hmm. adjust it in Photoshop. And I guess. Americans saw that and said, "Like, oh, okay. Well, you should be an art director because that's 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 what that role should be." And uh, yeah, that's and so after. So, have you studied uh, anything sort of art related? Uh, I studied multimedia at university, okay. and, and so that was in Adelaide. In Adelaide, at the University of South Australia, and but it was it wasn't like really in depth. I mean, it was a BA, so I did like. I think two semesters of psychology and two semesters of video editing and like a course in Flash and a course in 3D Studio Max, but nothing really in depth, like nothing really design oriented. So, but you, so when you came into this job, you were a games fan though, I guess, and you yeah. like researched a bit about how games were made and you had a bit of experience, no? Oh, do I, I don't think I knew that much about how like games were made. I mean, roughly, like, what I'd read in magazines, maybe. But, um, I guess I was I was looking into, into a bit about how animation was done, how films are made, and yeah. that's that's always informed me. Just, okay. I think, I've always been interested in just the act of creation, like, how do people sure. turn ideas and feelings into uh, works of art that, that reaches an end user or a viewer. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that's all this. Tim just rode. Yeah, I'm playing Monument Valley, and yeah. I, I just figured I could move these things about. And I was like, how the hell can I like get across here? But I figured it out. It's pretty good. Uh, we're we're blowing minds in real time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's like Games Master. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, uh, so you were in. Uh, so you were. You, you actually went and worked in Hong Kong, or were you working remotely? No, I I, um, I I went to work there, and I had no idea what Hong Kong is like. Right. Um, what was happening actually is American was working with a team remotely um, in Hong Kong, and um, and so he was kind of game designing remotely. And he's like, well, they need an art director there. You should just go to Hong Kong and be the art director. And this was around the time that Bush got reelected. And then American was like, screw the, screw the US. I'm going to move to Hong Kong as well. So he, the American, he, he's from America. American McGee from America. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So we, we ended up moving to Hong Kong at right. about the same time. And that was really cool. because. So you went with him. Um, I mean, slightly different times. Right. So he moved from California to to there, and then I think a few weeks later, I moved from Australia to to the to Hong Kong, and that was the first time I'd moved out from home, and my first real job, and my first time living in a country that didn't speak English. Oh right. Uh, so it was a, a huge adventure. I sure. mean, apart from just getting to make games mm. and get paid for it. I was moving to this exotic country and, mm. and kind of American going through that at the same time was we got to kind of share notes mm. and kind of learn a bit of Cantonese and, and explore the city together. Um, it, was a, it was a great place and I, I, I was kind of freaked out about moving to Hong Kong. This is before I'd done any traveling. How old were you at this stage? Uh, I was 22, I think, okay. 23. And, and my friend said to me, um, it's it's like you're going to be living in Blade Runner, and I was like, I love Blade Runner, but I don't know if that's a good thing. And of course, um, and it was it was brilliant. And then um, about two years after that, I moved to Shanghai, which is even more like Blade Runner, and and that doesn't have so much of that Western influence. Mm. And there, you can't just get by with English, mm. and so. I'd struggled to learn Cantonese in Hong Kong, but um, I got to learn Mandarin Chinese in Shanghai while making games. As well. okay. But are you? Forgive me if I'm wrong, but do you, are you from a Chinese heritage? Or? Yeah, yeah. So my my grandparents um, are from China, and okay. then my mother and father were both born in Malaysia. Okay. And then they met in Adelaide, and I was raised there. So you you didn't sort of grow up learning any sort. Uh, they, my parents tried to get me to learn Chinese, <laughs> but it didn't really sink in. Right, okay, yeah. And um, because you know, growing up in Australia, I, I, I felt Australian. I yeah. Didn't, I didn't. Mm. I never really felt like I had a Chinese identity. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I, I learned a little bit when I was young, and so when I went to Shanghai, it was a little bit easier to start it again. Mm. Yeah. So, how long were you in uh, Shanghai for? Uh, I was there for five years. Wow! And I, I, I didn't plan that. I thought I was only going to hang around for maybe two years, like do do one project and then move on. And you were working in in the in the same games company, the Hong Kong games. Uh, company. It was a different games company. Right. So we, um, like American, started a new games company there called Spicy Horse. And, <laughs> that um, was a good night. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, a lot of people think that we were a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and we did um, we did one game there called Grimm, which is based on Grimm's fairy tales. And then the next game after that was called Alice 
<coughs> Alice Man's Returns, and that's actually the sequel to my opening of *He's Alice*. Right. So to come full circle, the game, I I did fan art of the first Alice game, and that's what got me into the industry. And then seven eight years later, after that, I was art directing the sequel. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. So you were saying, uh, you were saying in uh, with Monument Valley, you didn't have. Uh, necessarily like a designated job title yeah. but on but at that company actually you did you were art director yeah I mean um, every games company is sort of structured differently right um, especially now um, like I suppose um, you know previously sort of during the PlayStation 1 PlayStation 2 era there was sort of more a, a, more of a, a recognized pipeline on how to make games, and I think an art director would have been more of a standard role. Right. But now that we we have many more ways of making games, and team sizes can go all the way to five hundred down Ooh. to one person, and so um, Monument Valley was made with a team of eight, and wow. um, I was the game designer, and. Um, sort of the lead artist so mm. I was I, I didn't really have we didn't have an art director sure yeah, I, there was only one other artist so mm. we just talked and that was <clears throat> how we art directed okay so is, just come back to the sort of timeline of, of you getting into games sure. you, after uh, Shanghai you then subsequently went and made your own game completely on your own yeah right? yeah well um, more or less <clears throat> more or less by myself um, I I was very happy with the work that I'd done at Spicy Horse, but I felt like uh, there was more that I wanted to learn, and so I wanted to try my hand at, at uh, game design. And uh, I guess one way of instead of convincing other people to 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 follow my design, I thought I would just make a game by myself. And there's a wonderful tool called Unity 3D which is like very user-friendly, uh, so much so that me, an artist, can make a game by myself with a bit of programming right. knowledge. So you do program now? Yeah, yeah. Um, and we actually made Monument Valley with Unity 3D right. as well. Um, so on Hacky Cat, I had to... Yeah, this, this, that's the name of the game. Yeah, Hacky yeah. Um, so you know what Hacky Sack is? Sure. Yeah. So it's like Hacky Sack, but with cats. <laughs> That sounds um, brilliant. I'm sold. Yeah, that's well, and it's really important actually to have a one-line pitch for your game right. because the app store is super competitive. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I, I should say that you know it's really important that you do. Some so this research. is an iOS game. Then. It's an iOS game. I was, um, I you know I got an iPhone and an iPad. And I was really interested in the new kinds of games that you mm. can make with that, and and the app store environment, which mm. is you know there's no you can't buy this in a box at HMV, it's all through this app store. And um, first thing to do is like do some research and figure out, it just doesn't sound very romantic, but how to position your product. Sure, I, I, mean, I mean, you're, you're making a product, you've you got to make it. Right, I guess, I guess a lot of games fans, they, 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 they want to believe that games are art. Mm. And they they don't they think that we shouldn't think about commercial interests. Oh, that's course. ridiculous! I think people I hate that kind of attitude. <laughs> of like, well, the cream will just rise to the top if you right. just put it out there. 
you know, you put your make your art and throw it, put it in a bottle and throw it into the internet ocean. And right. Someone will find it. It's like you've got to think about it in a business way as well. Well, I mean, occasionally it, it does happen where you, you fluke, and yeah. the thing that you made happens to be uh, have people go crazy about it. You mm. know, like like Minecraft, for example. Um, without without really considering anything but I you know I wanted to learn as much about making games as possible and so I I, I looked at how what you know what games are successful and I think being able to, like just having the title hacky cat yeah and having a nice cute icon mm. that's a good start mm. being able to tell people it's, it's got, got hacky it? it's got a hacky cycle with cute yeah, cats, cats. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you know and then and then you see people's the gears turn in people's heads and they're like, so you, you kick cats? And I'm like, yeah. And, and, and they're like, wait, uh, that sounds awesome, but that's wrong. <laughs> that's awesome. And um, did, you ever, did you ever worry that it wasn't going to get onto the app store because of a cruelty to the animals issues? Or I think that, issues that's or a, a risk I was willing to take. Right, okay. How <laughs> long did you develop it for? Uh, I thought... I, it was the smallest idea out of all the ideas I had at the time. Right. Like I, I wrote down all these cool ideas about what I could do, and I'm like, all right, basically keep a projectile in the air. That's the mechanic, right? You tap on the screen to keep something in the air. It sounds simple. Just make them look like cats. There you go. I thought it would take three months, and it took about 13 months. Wow. Um, yeah, so... Was um, you working at the same time while making? Uh, no, I, I'd saved up enough that I could, I, I didn't need to do any other work. Yeah, that was one thing I was going to ask, sorry to go back a little bit, is um, like I understand in China, like the kind of money that someone in, from China would earn is not a lot. Was that kind of, was you on a kind of rate there um, similar to what someone would expect <laughs> to earn there or was you on kind of games money but just in China? It's um, a little bit in between, I suppose. Yeah. Um, it's true that, like, I mean, the cost of living is lower in China, and so actually, uh, you know, while salaries are lower, you can you can get by yeah. with, with little. A lot of um, foreign companies they they pay foreigners a higher wage in order to incentivize them to move out to right. China, and um, the way that Spicy Horse was run, it was decided to treat foreigners and. Uh, locals more or less equally um, um, so I think you know the salary that I had was quite comfortable I, it's not as much as I would have earned in the West but, mm. but it was more than enough to, to get by so when you were making hacky sack were you doing hacky it cat. in huh? hacky cat what did I say you said hacky sack oh sorry man that's no. alright that's um, fine uh, when you were making hacky cat <laughs> was you in China? Uh, no, I well, I guess well, long story. But um, I, I, when I was deciding to leave China, I decided to do a little bit of traveling, and I went to the Philippines, and I met a girl there who I wanted to get to know better. And so I'm like, I'm at this transition yeah. point in my life. <laughs> I can live anywhere. Mm. I'll, I'll move to the Philippines, and we'll hang out. Mm. So I moved to the Philippines. And rent an apartment there and started making hacky cat. Okay. And then I figured out things didn't really go well with the girl, uh, and and so after a few months I moved back to Australia actually, um, and that's and it helped that I was, I was living back with my dad. 
but it, I really I wanted to get back in touch with Western civilization actually mm. um, after living seven years in China I wanted to just recalibrate and see old friends and mm. and, and that was the year that I turned 30 and it, it was really great actually to take stock and not have a job to, mm. to just be working on this thing by myself and meet up with old friends and and and, and meet new friends and um, and go through this process of it's almost like self-actualization mm. like I've, I've learned all this stuff and now I'm going to apply it and do this thing mm. that's just for me I'm going to make a game and no matter what happens afterwards this is something that that I've done by myself and, yeah. and, is, and is my vision mm. yeah, I think it's really important to do something that you can put your name to and say that's your thing even if you never do something like that again yeah. after that it's like at least you know that that's if you put your mind to it that's what you can that's what you yeah, can that's, that's what it felt like and, but, that, but that's amazing that you could take 13 months off um, without doing paid work yeah <laughs> <laughs> well so you, I, so you must have you must have been living quite cheaply. Either that, or you made an absolute fortune in China. Uh, I, well, I, I did a bit of freelance work, right. and um, you know, when I was back in Australia, I was living at my dad's place, so sure. I wasn't paying yeah. rent. And I, I guess I'm reasonably good at saving. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you don't have expensive tastes. No, I don't have expensive tastes. Um, I guess that helps. Yeah, in projects yeah. like that, don't. And, and so was it, uh, so how successful was it as a game? Uh, the game... Is it a free app? Or? It's, it's, it's not free, it's 99 cents, okay. which is uh, 59p or 69p here. That's not the going rate on the App Store for a game. Well, we should come back to that. Okay. It's, yeah, it's, it's, that. it's always changing. But um, yeah, so we, I put it out and um, you can buy... You can also buy cheeseburgers in the game. Like cheeseburgers are the currency. The cats collect cheeseburgers. Oh, okay. But if you're a bit impatient to collect all the cheeseburgers, you can buy packs of cheeseburgers. So it's an in-app purchase. That's an in-app purchase, which is a bit of a dirty word to some people. But uh, you can you can have a lot of fun in the game without paying any more. People sometimes people decide to, to spend money on cheeseburgers, and so mm. that's that's additional income above the. the and how much is that then? Uh, I think you can pay like one dollar, three dollars, six dollars, and ten dollars. I think that's like you can get a real cheeseburger for that, right? Sure, <laughs> sure. But it's, I mean, the the way that you look at it is, uh, you're finished with your real cheeseburger in twenty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but potentially for that money, you're going to be getting several hours of enjoyment right. out of the game. Um, yeah. So, so and people were doing it. People, well, people were doing it. Yeah. People wow. still, still are, I guess. Uh, not a lot anymore. Right, okay. But um, to come back to how successful it was, um, it basically covered a, a low salary for a year. So, wow, so if I if I had to have been supporting myself, I would have basically broken mm. even, okay. and that was that's great. That's mm. that's what I wanted. So, it kind of you made back what it kind of cost to make it, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, if I'd been paying myself a salary, which mm. I wasn't. Um, I mean, I, 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 this, this wasn't, I wasn't doing it to break even. or I mm. mean, I wasn't doing it to make money. Mm. And so I wasn't really keeping track of costs. I wasn't right. bad with money. <laughs> right, right. But, um, but it, was, it was a tremendous learning experience. I learned so much. Mm. Um, like everything from um, 
you know, how just the mechanics of how to get your app on the App Store. I actually decided to work with um, a PR firm. Really? To yeah, because I don't I don't know a lot about that, mm -hmm. and so much about making a game is actually well, making a successful game is about getting people to know about it mm -hmm. and talk about it, and um, like I said, you know, designing the game around being able to be talked about that's one thing but then also just um you know how do you try to get app store featuring which is the number one thing you want and how do you how do you get your your game app to the press to, to magazines and websites and all that kind of stuff uh, thinking as a as a as a business developer i'm i'm, I'm thinking like um well if i work with an external partner they, mm. they probably know a lot more than i do yeah um, so I did that, and I actually so did, so I just learned how to animate. Actually, I oh, really the first animation I ever did was on Hacky Cat. Oh, wow, wow! And and I guess you had to learn a little programming as well. I had to get much better at programming. Yeah. Um, I'd like I'd, that's really interesting that you work with a PR firm. Could you talk a bit more about that? Are they specialised in in apps? Yeah, so they um, they're they're a company called Surprise Attack, and they're based in Australia and. Um, they their remit is to support Australian developers, Australian games developers, um, and they they work with a range of clients, um, any every everything from like one man teams to to like bigger companies that just mm. want to market themselves in Australia, um, and it was it was a really interesting educational experience working mm. with them. Did they? Um did they? Did you find that working with them was kind of what made the difference in sort of generating revenue off the back of the game? Um, it's hard to say. Uh, so, going back to pricing, um, mm. I don't know if, how much you guys know about mobile games, but mm. the 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 conventional wisdom out there right now is that is is to make your games freemium, and what that means is you put the game out for free. And, and people are like, oh, free game, awesome, and you start playing. And as you play, you realize that you could have more fun if you just paid a little bit more money. Yeah. Whether that's for uh, more powerful weapons or more lives or whatever. Yeah. That, that's, that's freemium in a nutshell. Um, and the, the vast majority of revenue that comes from the App Store is through freemium. Really? Through in-app purchases. Yeah, something like... 95% of revenue. Really? Yeah. Wow, that is incredible. So, um, so they were um, being smart and saying, hey, you should, you should really make Hacky Cat freemium. And I do have in-app purchases, but mm. their advice was to be a, a bit more aggressive on the pricing. And, and perhaps they, they, they were suggesting to introduce certain game mechanics in to encourage people to buy cheeseburgers. What's game mechanic? Well, like so, um, like, or like, say we put a power-up system into Hacky Cat, okay. but then instead of waiting for the power-ups, you could buy the power-ups using right. cheeseburgers. In a way, it's like making the game easier, or 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 kind of jumping ahead mm. by paying money, right? Mm. And this was interesting because I wanted. To at least break even, and and now that I'm working with this company on a on a revenue share basis, I want them to to 
I want the game to be successful so that they get paid as well. Um, and it was at this point that I realized that I'm making this game for me and I want this to like I want to always be comfortable with this product. And so I, I decided to pull back and I said like, you know what, I, I understand that, that this would make more money, but I don't want to do that. I want mm. this game has to be personal to me. And there's there are certain things about the game that maybe it's the way that I grew up with games, but um, I want to keep it this way. Mm. Okay. Um, and so they gave me a lot of, of, of advice, and it's good advice, but a lot of it I decided not to, to take. Right, so okay. And, and did you get featured on the App Store? I did not get featured on the App Store. But on Monument Valley was on the front page for quite a while. Yeah, still yeah. There? I mean, that, so the, the biggest difference to your app success will be Apple featuring you, that sure. like on the, the iTunes homepage or the games homepage. And um, that's that. Like that is more important than all the press and all the tweets combined. How about the rankings? Because they have like top ten. Is it important to get in there? Um, it, it helps. Yeah. Uh, so actually, um, we um, so on the on the day that Monument Valley came out, we still didn't know if we were going to be featured. Right. Apple doesn't really tell no. you. Um, and we released and we watched all the tweets come in and we watched the app store and mm-hmm. we actually reached number six uh, paid app in the US which is the most important market before we were featured wow so I think that's that's pretty tremendous because it's like even without the golden bullet yeah we, we got into the top ten and then once featuring dropped around the world mm. um, that was incredible. Like we went, we went crazy once we saw it. Yeah. Featuring. How, what does what does a games company going crazy look like? <laughs> uh, I mean, if you look at our Twitter feed, there is we took photos. Of, oh, right. We had um, we had a projector in the company projecting tweet deck, so right. that we could see all the tweets coming in from people. Right. And I mean, it was cascading. It was wow, updating amazing. faster than we could read it. Um, of people getting the game and and, play, and and finishing it and just and their reactions from yeah. it uh, and we were drinking champagne nice. and and we were ref- everyone was refreshing their devices and then someone said oh we're featured and then we put it up on the big screen or took a photo with it oh, amazing um, it's been a really good so what um, you were saying that app, you don't know if Apple are going to feature it before it's released so you submit it to Apple and they review it and potentially it can get featured off the back of that before it's released. Yeah, basically. Um, so I, I, for anybody who's listening who's working on, a, on an indie game or, or a mobile game, um, it's, it's, it's funny to say, but it, you, the thing to do is tell Apple beforehand that you're working on a great game. Right. Okay. So and how do you do that? Do you contact the Apple? You, you the get Apple in, yeah, you get in contact with Apple, and hopefully, you've been networking enough in the industry to to know somebody that knows somebody that can get you in touch with Apple. Um, so we we you know we us to the, the company that that I work for that makes Monument Valley. Um, us two has made mo- mobile games before, and so we we had some contact with Apple, and but it, it but by no means it was it wasn't a straight line. Mm. Um, actually, they didn't really take notice of us the first time that we got in contact. 
and it was only after our first trailer came out that um, that this, they they sat up and took notice, and they're like, "Oh, that looks really cool." Mm. Like, so you resent it to them when the trailer came out? Uh, no, they just they just looked back at the email that we sent them three oh, months ago, <laughs> yeah. oh, right. and um, but uh, and then we just had a dialogue, and and and. Um, and so they, they, didn't, they didn't tell us that they, were featured, that they were going to feature us, but they told us that they liked the game and that mm-hmm. it looked really nice and they were looking forward to the release. It seems, it seems to me that, um, I'm sure that this is a conversation that's been had uh, a lot um, before in other circles, but um, I don't have, I mean, the first experience I have of the App Store was, was putting this, uh, or the <laughs> iTunes Store was putting this podcast up. Right? All right. <laughs> uh, and it seemed like it is this like pretty... Quite, quite a difficult sort of landscape to navigate um, mm-hmm. your way around, and it was. It, it, I mean, with the uh, with the podcasting thing, it's, it's difficult to. Um, it, it's almost impossible seemingly to get in touch with them, um, and uh, but but they they obviously in this huge position of power. So you have this kind of uh, very powerful organisation which is going to make and break people's careers, mm-hmm. and yet they're kind of sequestered away and how much do you know about the apps or how many people do they have working for them because it seems uh, I think um, I, I don't I, it's not, I don't know a lot but what I do know is that Apple only hires the best they, they have it's, they're, they're very picky about who they hire and so the, the people that review apps and especially the people that curate apps for the app store is, is a very small team and they get thousands of submissions every yeah. week um, the majority of which are to be honest kind of rubbish I mean mm. you know it's very easy to, to find people doing blog posts saying oh I made a game for iOS and it sold like 103 copies right. so there's something broken about the app store right? Right. but then but, you look at what they made mm. and they made a Mario ripoff Right. And it's like, well, nobody cares that you can rip off Mario. We mm. can all do that. Mm. <laughs> Let's make something that's worth talking about right. and, and maybe it'll be more successful. It must be a really difficult thing to manage. I mean, something on that scale that's actually curated by human beings. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm sure they have algorithms in place which help them sift stuff out. But... They, they do, but then also, I mean, why rely on the algorithms? Why not? If, if anybody is worth their salt... They're trying to get in contact with you, so mm. um, we worked hard to get onto Apple's radar, and and they saw that we had a quality product, and it makes sense for mm. them. Mm. You know, why should they have to sort through all the submissions right. to find someone that didn't bother trying to get in contact with them? Right. Sure. Um, uh, that said, I mean they, they do highlight just kind of random one shots that they they do pick up. Mm. Um, I. I have to say, like, I don't really know how it, it all works, but yeah. this is just from what the, the little that I know. Um, I, I mean, subject so going back to App Store success, um, uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of people they're not actually trying hard mm. to make a hit. They try hard to make a game. They may have worked very hard to make a game, but. It's, it's more than just look at what I can do. It's about um, having something unique to offer, you know, and, and, and getting, and having, not necessarily, not necessarily working with a PR firm, but 
getting the word out there that your, your game is, is here and, and having a Facebook page, having a Twitter account, um, you know, having just, just trying to build a community, trying to, trying to have public relations. Um, that's really important. Um, Did you have a lot of that before the game launched? Did you have a kind of following that was kind of uh, ready to pounce on it? Well, launch? you know, we, we released screenshots and we released a teaser trailer and we had a Twitter follow, a, a Twitter account that you could follow. Mm. And we got in contact with um, various magazines. So before the launch, uh, Edge magazine had written about us. Mm. Wired had done a preview. Wow. Um, I think even Polygon did a preview before we came out. Are those still powerful forces, those magazines? Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, anything to help spread the word. I mean, we, as long as we have time, we'll entertain whatever podcast <laughs> comes our way. But I mean, <laughs> but I, I love talking about games. And yeah, I love yeah. talking about sure. our game. So, uh, and I, I'm very lucky to be doing what I love for a living. So I could I could talk games and, and our game all day. <laughs> so, so moving on from uh, the, uh, or, or getting back at least to um, your sort of own uh, journey into uh, starting Monument Valley. So you, you, you finished that game Hacky Cat in Australia and then somehow you ended up in London working on Monument, Monument yeah. Valley. How did that come about? Well, I I'd, I'd lived and worked in some of the biggest and busiest Asian cities in the world and I wanted to see what it was like in a big western city so being Australian I got my my uh, my like youth holiday visa to the UK uh, because I was still under the age of 31 at the time and then I realized that unemployment is a big problem in this country <laughs> and I'm like oh shit maybe I should find a job before I arrive and I looked online and this company called us two, uh, who made a game called Whale Trail that I was familiar with. Mm -hmm. And the thing about Whale Trail is that it's made with personality. Right. And, and I feel like that's the same with Hacky Cat. And personality goes a long way. Uh, and so I saw that us two had this opening for games artists. Um, and reading the description, it's like, get to work on a, a small team, get to work on interesting games, have a lot of freedom and the way it's funny the way that it was written it was not written like a conventional games company job description it was kind of written more like by people who don't really make games a lot and it, it's more of like a creative position and I'm like this is exactly what I want I don't want to work necessarily in a conventional games development atmosphere mm -hmm. because there's the way that can a lot like the majority of games are made. I think there's, there's problems with that. Um, and when I when I when I had my interview, they were like, "Are you sure you're okay with just you know small small studio, ten people?" And I'm like, "That's perfect. That's exactly what I want." And so I got the job, and so I moved over here to London and showed up for work. <laughs> and then, so you made you made the game there, um, and so do they have. How does the ownership of it work? Well, uh, so us two is a company of around 200 people. Mm. And they're in three studios, New York, Malmo in Sweden, and London. Mm. And in the London office... What was office, the first office? 
Sorry? Well, where did it start? In New York? In, in London. Okay, in London. It started London. here and by two people, and that's why it's called us too. Mm. And um, uh, of those people, um, eight people are on the games team. Okay. Uh, of which I'm one. And I guess um, it's, it's interesting. I, it's, they, we have a lot of freedom to create games that we want. Mm. Uh, and I guess in terms of ownership, us two owns the game. Right, okay. Um, so it, how the project developed, was it like they were like, we want to make a game, who's got an idea, and you came forward? Uh, we, we all pitched okay. ideas, or anybody was open to, right. to pitch ideas. And I don't, I don't really see it as pitching, it's more like, I had all these ideas, and what I would do is just do one piece of concept art or like a poster mm. and I'd print it put it on the wall and see what happens because I didn't I didn't especially me coming into this company new mm. I didn't want to pitch and and force my way in I wanted I wanted to be organic so I, I just put a bunch of ideas on the wall and and and, sit, and, and as people went past they would say oh that looks cool or ask questions like what's that game about and I'm like what do you think it's about what 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 could this be um, and that's how the concept for Monument Valley became um, the first project that we did with this new team like after I joined and um, another person joined at the same time so was that something that you had to push for them to make or did they or was it kind of like They'd ask you, no. sort of like what you were doing, um, which direction did it come? From? So, um, um, so I didn't have to push at all. Right. Like people, like I said, people kind of identified that that piece of concept art had something sure. going for it. And so this was like a, a sort of a, something that looks similar to the final. It, it looks very, it looks almost identical to the final game. Right. Actually. Right. And. Um, the, so that led to more concept art, so just exploring what it could be, and that's that's not worth anything without an actual gameplay prototype. So we prototyped it in Unity uh, in in two weeks, I think, and so it was playable on an iPad within two or three weeks. And we took that to a meeting, and anybody from the company who was interested could come to that. And um, it was very telling that we gave the iPad to a lady who works at the company who doesn't play games at all, mm-hmm. no interest in games, and she picked it up and she couldn't put it down. Yeah, and I th- that that's almost like the moment that we're like, oh wow, this could be really mm-hmm. big. Well, I mean, I guess that's why you know it appeals to appeals to somebody like me. Um, uh, you know, I, I mean, I think that the thing about Monument Valley was um, it was uh, it's visually very different right and I think that that's one thing that uh, that I don't see in games too much why do you think that that is that people seem to invest an enormous amount of time in, in things like the gameplay and the playability like things mm-hmm. see all the things which are very popular uh, to me they're not really kind of like design driven at all mm-hmm. they're um, coming from a slightly different place right. um, why do you what, I mean would you agree with that sort of characterization or yeah or yeah li- well limited understanding of- um it- it is a little bit of a limited understanding. The, the thing is, like what if I said to you, 
uh, well, all those DreamWorks and Pixar films, they look all the same. Obviously, yes, they do. Yeah, so, so I, I might be under the impression that everyone does the same kind of animation these days. Yeah. And that's, that's because I haven't thought about um, foreign animation and short films and advertising and music videos. Mm. And that's where all the interesting animation is taking place. Right, okay. Um, and it's the same with games. Um, unless you're actually looking at games festivals and you're, you're seeking out indie games, um, you might not be aware of how many interesting art styles there are out there. Right. Um, so, um, basically you've got mainstream games which are expensive to develop and so they need to uh, lower their risks and so they go with true and tested uh, art styles for the most part. And then on the other hand, you've got upstart indies, small teams, um, artists who are developing really cool looking games, but they may not have the marketing budget or the visibility to get out there into your hands. Like you're not a gamer. Do you, do you own a games console? Do you have a, no. Okay, so um, you're only gonna come across a few games a year and they're going to be what people talk about. Um, and I guess Monument Valley has, um, it's, you know, it's partly by design and with a little bit of luck. It's an intersection of accessible gameplay and accessible yet interesting art. So, so I guess that, um, uh, I guess that maybe I could phrase the question better, like why are these games with interesting visual styles not more visible, you know, in the in the mainstream marketplace? Well, well, how would how would you ever come across? An interesting I mean, I do. Game? I mean, I do. Yeah, I do look on the app store, you know, right. every now and then, see yeah. games. I mean, like, I, you know, I follow various different blogs, design blogs, and things like that right. um, that would, you know, highlight something something along these lines. Mm. But uh, well, I suppose it must be the same for like. Um, you know, for there's interest in cool indie films, animated films, but you're never you're never likely to see right. the Disney or sure. DreamWorks film come out looking like that. I think it's must be for the same reason. It's like they, as particularly in games, man, there's so much money they're making so much money out of it. Why, why bother mixing it up? You know, like, yeah, so, um, yeah, it's, it's exactly that. I mean, everyone knows. I mean, games have been around long enough that we know what works, we know what sells, and mm. it's like any other creative industry. Like, why, why innovate when you can recycle? Yeah. Just to put you on the spot, can you name any sort of titles that would be interesting for people to check out? Like, oh, absolutely. Is there anything that's in your mind? Sure. So the the game that probably had the most effect on Monument Valley is a game called Windowsill. That's windowsill spelt without the second W, and it's made by one guy called Vector Park. Uh, yeah, and it's brilliant. It's uh, it, it looks a bit like Flash, so it's kind of flat shaded, and there's no words in it, and it's just a series of vignettes where you kind of interact on the iPad and or or on uh, you know in a flash window, and. It's beautiful because, like we were talking about before, it's it's not working against the material of 
what games are. And what games are is interaction. Right? That is, that is the, the fabric of games. And so it's playful. It doesn't tell you what to do. You figure it out yourself by interacting with things on the screen. Not with a mouse or with a controller, but directly on the screen. Um, and that's why iPad games can be really great because the interaction is so direct. Mm. So windowsill looks great and plays great. Um, another one is sword and sorcery. I've played that. Yeah. You've played that? That's wicked. So um, that is a real gem of a game and kind of like Monument Valley, it kind of bucks the trend of freemium games. Um, it's a what we call premium price game. It's like, I think it was released for $3. Which, is, which some people consider to outrageous. be outrageously priced. But what you get is mm. immaculate design um, and, and, and just a really well thought out, really mm. well designed game experience. Yeah. Um, uh, another game that I, I think is, is really amazing is Super Hexagon. And Super Hexagon, also premium price. And it's very arcade, it's, an, it's a very arcade game, it's a very hard game. Um, and it has a very pure visual style. It's it's a bit like it's a bit Tron esque. Uh, it's very it's vector graphics, but again, very well designed. And it, it's interesting that uh, people who who make games they haven't really been thinking like designers. Like when we when we say design, we think graphic design, we mm. think product design, we think Apple and Bauhaus and Mm. architecture mm. right it's this intersection of engineering and art mm. and for whatever reason the games have modeled themselves a lot after the entertainment industry mm. action movies maybe comics mm. and which is fine and that's great I mean it's great that we can make really great action uh, genre experiences but to, to maybe get to audiences like you, like design-oriented people, or just people that aren't interested in violence, really. <laughs> um, we can learn a lot from design. Because actually, because it's interaction design. And it's funny because what us two does, us two's main business is UX. It's, it's mm. user experience. Mm. And it was only when, I, when we finished work on Monument Valley, or maybe towards the end of it, that I realized oh, actually what we made is a user experience. Mm. It's not about, here's some mechanics, some gameplay mechanics that we dressed up with an art style and, and we added sound because we had to. It's not about that and some, and some functional UI. Um, everything is, is crafted around the user's experience, mm. right? Um, so you look at the user experience of your typical triple-A blockbuster console game and it's usually something like you jump in and they tell you what the 14 buttons on your controller does and then you come in and you start shooting people and then you get a, a better gun and you shoot more people and then you get a boss there's a boss fight like yeah. what is a boss fight like why yeah. do we have that term why why <laughs> is that a staple mm. of what we of what we do um, it's funny like you uh, I start reading reviews of traditional video games and they talk about reload times and weapon swapping and inventories and boss fights and um, you know 
gating mechanics and and spawn points and and why we have this crazy lexicon for hardcore games and it's for for hardcore games that's brilliant that's great mm. we've we've developed that but how are we ever going to attract new people to the mm. art form and and the entertainment of of gaming if we can't get back to actually providing a fun interesting meaningful user experience right mm. um, and it's it's something that the music industry understands right you have an album you listen to it from start to finish and you maybe pick out pick out individual tracks that you like there's cover art you promote the band that, that's all a, an experience it's easy to mm. understand games almost actively push you away mm. the games are difficult <laughs> the game tries to prevent you from completing experiencing it as a whole mm. so you look at your, your, your blockbuster AAA story based titles and very few people actually get through this punishing experience over dozens of hours mm. to complete it to actually get perhaps the, the, the final point of the game very few people get to do that mm. and um, one of the things that we tried to do differently on Monument Valley is keep it short, keep manage the, the amount of challenge um, so that the, the vast majority of people who want to finish the game can finish it. Mm. Uh, and that's become a talking point about the game. Uh, I mean, yeah, it was something that uh, a few people brought up that it was... Uh, that it was quite short, and for me, it was perfect. Uh -huh. You know, it's the first time I've ever probably got to the end of a game, right. maybe since like Tomb Raider 2 or right. something. It was the last <laughs> game I like sat down and, and, and played and got to the end to, of, and I thought that that was great. And we were actually talking about it just before the podcast about how, um, uh, almost in the internet age, like uh, people can consume these things, these kind of smaller things, a little uh, more readily, or like if you let people know that it's going to be a small thing in advance there's space for small things and big things yeah in games. I mean well, there's room in our lives for movies and a huge TV series like Game of Thrones and for YouTube videos you know and sometimes people they just want to snack on a 10 minute YouTube video uh, and um an interesting thing about games is that you don't know how long a game is going to be usually, mm. right? Yeah. When you sit down for a movie, mm. it's like between 90 minutes to three hours. Mm. And usually when it's a three hour movie, someone's told you, oh, King Kong yeah. is three hours, yeah. Titanic is going to be three hours, but it's worth mm. it or whatever. Um, yeah, but when you sit down and play a game, you don't know whether that's mm. going to be, whether you're going to be here for an hour or 20 hours. Mm. Um, and uh, so I don't know again it all comes back to, to user experience I mean we, we, we watched people play Monument Valley and we actually noted that people got exhausted they would get exhausted after only about half an hour uh, and we're talking about not, not hardcore games but just normal people mm. um, and so we so you know we realised that we had to break the game up into like about 10 minute chunks mm. and um, and that probably would take some people two or three sittings 
to play it. Some mm. people just do it in one. Um, but but I, like I, I, we almost came to it by accident. But how extraordinary that the that one of our innovations was just to have people complete the game. Yeah, <laughs> you know. It's funny. It's it's exactly what put me off game because I don't. I now don't like play games at all. Sure. It's literally because. The reason why I don't play games anymore is because Metal Gear Solid 2 was so good. Yeah. Like, I couldn't put it down. It, like, I remember I was... My friend and I, my colleague, we were just talking about Metal Gear Solid 2 last yeah. night. And he, he marathoned playing through Twin Snakes, which is Metal Gear Solid 1. Yeah. And then played through all of, all of Metal Gear Solid 2 for the first time, Whoa. all in one sitting. Oh my god, so he did 1 and 2. And 2, yeah. That is mental. <laughs> yeah, I remember finishing it, and like, it, I was when I was supposed to be doing my GCSEs or revision and stuff <laughs> like that, and I just didn't. Yeah. I remember finishing it, just being like, games are not Toe Jam and L anymore. Like they, right. they are like movies, but you have to sit down. And then it become like this thing. Like I remember going back to school, like they often be like, "Oh man, I completed Metal Gear Solid and two, and they were like, "Yeah, but what? How long? How long did it take you?" Like. And I was like, I don't know, 14 hours, and I did it in like eight. And then it was like, shit, now I've got to like clock it faster on <laughs> the hard mode and and all this stuff. And, it, and I was just like, I can't, I, I, I had to wean myself off them. And then I've just gone kind of cold on them now. Like, it's, it's like, it was almost like a trauma that um, if I find the game is taking too long, then I, I just sort of go, oh, I don't want to play that anymore. Yeah. And I think maybe uh, the one thing I've kind of noticed about um, iOS games is that it's almost like where people decide to kind of go, oh, I'm going to start playing this now. It's usually like when they're traveling home or... And I almost thought maybe it was kind of a good thing that games were kind of long because it was just like the snack on while you were sort of, I don't know, you know, on a bus home or on a, on a train. And um, it was like I remember uh, playing Angry Birds just because everyone was, and I, I could get it now on my Android phone. And uh, it... It sort of it never seemed to end. It was quite long, yeah. Uh, and I didn't mind that because it was just meant there was always I could always play it whenever I decided I wanted to. You know. Right. Um, did you think about that much? Um, I I think we knew what Monument Valley was na- naturally wanted to be, mm. and that's that's all we ever wanted was to make Monument Valley true to itself, mm. um, and not not force it to be something that it, that it wasn't. Um, and, I, and after Monument Valley, I've been thinking a lot about why we play games and the different kinds of games. And, and this, I'm, I'm sort of in my head, I'm working on this big thesis about how the games industry is no longer one industry. It's, it's as different as music videos, ads, yeah. short films. Uh, long-form films, TV series. They're mm. all moving pictures. Mm. They're considered to be different fields and different mm. art forms. Uh, and so the the games that we play to relieve boredom, mm. right? You're on a train, mm. you just want to do something, you want to throw some birds at it, have some pigs <laughs> for, for five minutes or ten minutes. Yeah. That's great, right? Nothing wrong with that. Um and you can make a, you can make that really really good. I mean, mm. I think a lot. It's very fashionable to like take down Angry Birds because it, maybe it didn't deserve the success that it had. But I, but it's actually a very well made game, and mm. it, it, it there's reasons why people play it. On the other hand, 
the games that we play in order to have a transformative experience, the same reason why we might read a book or watch a film, that's, that's a very different kind of game. Mm. Um, and um, we can learn a lot from each other, but there are different goals. And it's, 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 I guess it's important to recognize that one is not meant to be the other. Angry Birds is not meant to be a dissertation on the human yeah. condition. Mm. And something like Metal Gear Solid is not, perhaps not meant to be accessible. You know, it's mm. not meant to be for everyone. Mm. But what it does have to say, uh, if you do get through it, it could be like really amazing. Mm. Um, and I've been thinking about why again like why we make games and, and the difference between these different types of games and so I, I, I compare some mobile games to uh, well let, let, let's put it this way what does a game leave you with at mm. the end mm. and what Candy Crush or Angry Birds leaves you with is the relief of boredom yeah okay but what a really well engineered long form or single player or even multiplayer experience can leave you with is a transformative experience is with feelings and ideas mm. and that's where the art comes in mm. so when people argue about whether games are art it's important to distinguish that we make some games because they're junk food Mm, yeah. and that's, that's fine some yeah, people yeah. need and want junk food and then on the other hand there are games that we would position as art mm. yeah that's really interesting are you, uh, is, there a, is there a place where people can uh, is there like a good blog or something I mean like if the app stores obviously maybe not fulfilling that function as, sure. as well as it can um, I, I think a really good starting point is um uh, a, a website called Polygon.com and Polygon is um, a very well written website uh, they do reviews but they also do like big features about events or, or news in the industry and so they, they, they like to look beneath the surface and, and really probe it mm. and, you know I go why we play games and, and how we make games and, mm. and beyond that there is a website called Venus Patrol um, which is uh, run by a guy called Brandon Boyer, who used to write for Boing Boing, right. and he his remit is to is to push indie games. Mm. So he won't cover the mainstream yeah. AAA games that that everybody will know about. Well, gamers will know about. He focuses on small games or unusual games, and that's tremendous. Mm. And, and he's very involved in. Um, various communities and, and programs um, like the um, like the Indie Games Festival at, at GDC um, which, which celebrate uh, indie games um, and, and it's great it's, it's almost like we're seeing um, the music industry transform from pop to alternative 
Right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like seeing the rise of garage bands. Sure. And it's, it's weird because actually computer games began in the garage. <laughs> and we kind of lost our, our way for a bit. It's, it, we went through what I call the dark ages where um, you, you could, the only way to make a game was to have a big enough company that you could um, afford PlayStation dev kits and you had to put it out through a, a publisher. Yeah. It was very hard to be an independent developer in those days. And the only way to buy the game was a boxed copy in Walmart. And so Walmart takes its cut and the publisher takes their cut. And, and, the, and the retail price had to be whatever it was, um, 50 US yeah. dollars, right? 30, 40 quid. So you had to make a game that was perhaps sellable for 30, 40 quid. Mm. There was no room for short-form games, right? I mean, there was, there was but it was, a, it was a very small scene for indie games or small games in those days. And in the last couple of years, um, not just the App Store and mobile games, but things like Steam for PC and um, downloadable games on Xbox Live and PlayStation Network, um, and like new new ways of pricing games, mm. including free. Mm. Um, it's increased the uh, the types of games that we can make because we can make smaller games and we can make games that monetize differently. And then we've seen a huge div uh, diversity in in the game players themselves. Yeah, I mean, for a long time, actually. Um, the average age of gamers has been above 30. And the percentage of female gamers is close to 50%. So we like to think, I mean, that we still hang on to this impression that games for teenage boys, but that hasn't been true for a very long time. Um, games for kids, games for older, that older people can play, games that interest women or don't offend women <laughs> um, things like Guitar Hero mm. and The Sims mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. and Pokemon they're all great and they're just as important as Call of Duty and Grand Theft Auto mm. right? um, so it's been interesting reflecting on Monument Valley and seeing that um, it's, 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 it's wonderful that, that people think that we're going to make a huge difference. That Monument Valley is showing that, that mobile games can be great and, and, and that there may be a revolution. Mm. But in actual fact, we are hopefully part of the lineage of, of games that have made a difference over, over the ages. Mm. Um, do you guys know a game called Myst? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. that. was that was ages ago. It was ages ago, but if you remember what the landscape looked like at the time, uh -huh. games were very hardcore, um, very genre-driven, usually. Um, and here comes along Myst, which, which, which is a quantum leap ahead in terms of graphics, back when that actually meant something. Um, so we have the CD-ROM. Suddenly we can have pre-rendered... CGI imagery um, and and it was non-violent and it was puzzle based it was thought based all these things together it, it made Mist the the number one selling game 
for, for quite some time until the Sims dethroned it, I believe. Okay. So it, which is interesting because neither of those are kind of like genre really. Well, I guess Sims is, but it's not like a violent game or it's not necessarily yeah. a boys game. Or when I say it's not a genre, I mean it's not fantasy and it's not sci-fi. Right. It's yeah. it's less fantastical, but what it what it brings is we can make a game about relationships and about humans sure. and about uh, suburban life and, and and that's great, that's interesting because films do that effortlessly, right. TV series do that effortlessly. So imagine the thing, the way that people engage with Mad Men or, uh, or House of Cards, you know, that's the kind of things that games could also do, if not better. Just before we finish, I was wondering if we could quickly go into a little bit of your process oh. of how you make a game. So sure. I saw there was like a making of video that you guys have online where you've done a bunch of sketch, there's like tons of sketching and sketchbooks yeah. going on. So I assume that's where it starts. Uh, not really. I mean, it, so there's, there was two kind of threads going on. Well, actually, first of all, let me say that there is, I think a lot of people think that we made a plan for Monument Valley and then we made it and then that's how we did it. But the way that it worked and the only way that we could do it is we have a kind of a rough idea about how to do it. We try some things, it doesn't work. <laughs> and so then we worry a bit and then we, we try to design it better and then we try it again and that doesn't work. This is exactly what happened by the way. Mm. And then that doesn't work and then we get even more worried and we're like, do we know what we're doing? <laughs> and then we try it again and that had potential. And everything along the way was iterative. And we only, we, we had to work ambiguity and flexibility into the plans so that when we actually made, like, made stuff, that we could be surprised, that we could try things mm. and, and know that they might be thrown away. So did you have a schedule? Did you have very specific? We had a loose schedule. We had a deadline. Um, and once we, once we, we, we committed to March the 3rd to submit it to Apple, and we hit that. Um, but how, how many months did you take doing it? Uh, it was ten months altogether. Okay. Um, we, I think, we initially hoped that we could do this in seven months, and I, that was, I think, unrealistic. So once we had a realistic submission date, we didn't shift from that. And ten months is a very short time for this kind of game. Um, but um, we would only plan with a lot of detail the next week or two. And then we had a vague idea of what milestones to hit in about two or three months, but even those would usually shift. So we only planned the detail for the next week or two. Mm. Um, and because with games, you're kind of inventing. Yeah. You're, it's, it's like designing a Rubik's Cube over and over again. Right. Um, so you don't, you don't really know what's going to happen. You're trying to find what's going to be fun about it. So you have like short-term goals. Yeah, very, very short. And they're, they're hopefully leading towards long-term goals, but right. they usually shift. That's pretty interesting way of working. Um, and so when we talk about sketching, um, because there's so much, it's so organic and we leave so much flexibility in there, the sketches are very rough. They're just notions of, okay, we're going to put something that flips here, and when that flips, this is going to come up, and it's mm. going to create a path. Um, that's what our sketchbooks are full of. And then we actually 
we kind of sketch it in the game engine itself and mm -hmm. it's a bit like playing with Lego. So you're building these things out of Lego, except the Lego pieces move when you want them to, mm. when you, she steps here. And then sometimes when you're not looking, we change what the Lego looks like behind the scenes. Mm, that's, right. that's how it works. Mm -hmm. So you can do that, try it out, and then, and then make it better. And so a lot of the sketching process really goes on in the 3D engine, the magical 3D engine. And so you, are you a part of that as well? You did 3D yeah, too? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it's what we call level design, really. Um, so, you know, traditional game, a level design is you build a castle that you can walk around and, and it has enemies in there. In our game, level design is part architecture, part puzzle design, and part graphic design. All of those things have to work at the same time, what we do. And, and what is it that you're working on right now? It's a, is it a, another game project? Or um, well, we probably can't talk about it. Well, I can. Um, people, people love Monument Valley, and they've asked for more levels. And um, we, we obviously, we respect Monument Valley itself a lot. I think it's bigger than us now, and so we want to be very careful not to disrupt that. We don't want to pull a Star Wars Special Edition on people, <laughs> or a Phantom Menace. Um, so we are creating more Monument Valley levels, but hopefully in a way that um, doesn't reflect poorly on, on the original experience. Um, and so that's what the team's busy on doing, as well as like, looking forward to eventually working on new games. And I don't know what those are now. Cool. Yeah, I think that's sweet. Nice note to finish on. Cool. All right, well, thank you so much for coming down and talking to us. Yeah, today. thanks, man. Yeah, it's it's been, been super interesting. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks right. for having me. Bye. Cheers. Take care.